Okay, folks, uh, welcome to tonight's Theology Lab. It's on the topic of generosity and giving. We are joined by Greg Bomber. Uh, he works at uh, Nava Health and is the chief growth officer there and also the author of the book, God and Money. Uh, and also Grace Nicolette, who is a VP at the Center for Effective Philanthropy and host of the Giving Done Right podcast. Greg and Grace, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Scott. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited for uh, tonight's conversation. Um, we've invited both of you here uh, because you are a recognized thought leaders in your various fields. Um, but I also have the privilege of knowing both of you uh, personally. And I know that when it comes to giving and generosity, this is not just like something you think about and try to have good strategy around. This is like a key part of your lives and, and who you are as followers of Jesus. Um, so let me kind of get us started with a personal question here. Um, and talking about our relationship to money as Christians, uh, this is this is a journey. This is something that we grow into as people of faith. Uh, what's one thing, just anything that's been significant for you that's kind of helped you get where you are in your giving life? One lesson about money that the Lord um was gracious to teach me over the past decade or so is um, how we can use money as a proxy or a, a tool to fall into other forms of idolatry. It's a mechanism to express whatever what other idols might be in our hearts. And the lesson that I learned in this area was Back when I lived in Boston and attended High Rock, um, I was in my early to mid-20s and was um, aggressively pursuing career success. Uh, had an extremely high degree of selfish ambition um, and didn't recognize how that might be incongruent with how God might be um, calling me to live differently. And money was the way we kept score in business. Uh, and so I was using the money as a way to signal what I thought my worth was to my peers, uh, which I was measuring in career success. And the way you measured that was money. Uh, and, and God, um, over a period of years and, and pain, <laughs> um, taught me how off base I was and, and that money has a very different purpose if we adopt a kingdom mindset. Thanks for that, Greg. Uh, how about you, Grace? Um, so I would say that a big um, influence on my views on giving has actually been my family. Um, so I would say starting with my grandparents on both sides, um, they're refugees from war. And then my parents immigrated to the U.S. Um, with very little uh, to study in the early 70s. Um, and each generation, I would say, of, the, of our family has been pretty radically generous. Um, giving sacrificially to others, even when they were in just abject poverty themselves. And as my parents moved out of poverty, they actually became even more and more generous. And um, they are among the most generous people that I know. And, um, you know, it's interesting because unlike some immigrant families, they talk to my brother and I a lot about money um, and giving decisions from a young age and they really involved us a lot in our in their giving. And so even now I would say that my parents giving and our giving 
we like talk about it. Um, and I'll tell just a, a brief story. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this recently because I've been trying to teach my kids about compounding. So like how if you save money, it's not just like $10 in a jar, but like if you save it, it'll grow over time, that um, concept. And I was thinking about, about how my parents actually taught my brother and I about compounding, but only in the context of giving, actually. And so whatever we gave to the church um, growing up, um, my parents would actually compound. So like if we gave, you know, a dollar, they would add 50 cents um, to it. And so, yeah, so anyway, it's just, I think they um, have greatly influenced me over the years. Um, that's so powerful to hear how about the influence of family on giving. And then also Greg to hear about how it's just been part of this, like testing of where you are in your spiritual life. Um, let me go to another question here. Uh, we're having this conversation that we're going to get into like some of like some of the specifics around giving and generosity itself. Um, but we're having this conversation, right. As, as Christian, as people, as Christians, as people of faith. So I'm curious are there kind of spiritual things, biblical concepts or ideas that have been particularly informative for you when it comes to giving? Yeah, as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, there are actually particular Bible verses that um, have really speak to giving. So like, you know, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also has been a big one for me or like to whom much has been given, much will be required. Um, the measure that you use will be measured to you. I was just thinking about that. And then I, I think um, there was something for me a little bit uncomfortable about like cherry picking Bible verses though around giving and and I was kind of processing why that was. And I think a lot of it just boils down to, I think so much of how we give is really downstream from what is the story that we believe about God and what he's doing in the world and with through us and through our lives. And so, um, yeah, just even apart from like individual passages of scripture, I think just like the story of what's what he's doing, I think. Um, and there's many layers to that, but I think that has, has really informed kind of the way I think about it. I would, Grace, I would love to hear a little bit more about that, thinking about how giving is informed by the larger story of scripture. Um, and we can yeah. either come back to that later in the conversation or now, but I think that that's a really interesting uh, kind of angle in thinking about giving. Well, I mean, just real simply, like, like at a very top line, it's like he emptied himself for us, right? And there's such a mutuality, too, in the way that he talks about, or in the Bible that giving is talked about, right? It's like, there's always um, giving in relation to others, and um, and then obviously his example of giving. So anyway, that would be sort of like the very cliff notes version. I love that. Yeah, Grace, that's good. I agree. Um over the past decade or so, um, since the God and Money book came out, the biggest lesson that God has really taught me that I think addresses your question, Scott, is why he calls us to give. Um, and I think understanding that anchors whatever giving strategy we come up with in a deeper set of theological ideas. Um, and as I've studied on it and practiced it, what I would offer is the three main reasons why God calls us to give. One of them is not because he needs our money. So that's the first recognition. He He is not waiting for us to supply him what he needs. <laughs> um, rather, he calls us to give, I think, first, because he is the ultimately generous being, and we learn more about his character by expressing 
the act of generosity. Two, because we grow in sanctification, that is, we grow in Christ-likeness as we express generosity. Generosity is one of many character traits that we're called to express to become more like Jesus. Uh, and third is because, for some reason, not sure why, he's elected to order the world in such a way that we participate alongside him in kingdom works here on earth. And generosity is is one of the ways that we do that. And I think when we give through that mindset out of reflecting his character, becoming more like Jesus and participating in kingdom works, when that's what drives our giving, it becomes a joyful act of worship. And I would say the reason he actually calls us to give is as a joyful act of worship. Let me go on to this question here. Greg, I'm going to put this question to you and then kind of open the floor, Grace, for you to respond to this. Um, Greg, this is something that your book, God and Money, Discovering True Riches at, at Harvard Business School, speaks to a length. So there's, you know, part of I, I hope this will inspire folks to kind of go out and uh, and to check out that book and the resources with it. Um, so you've given a lot of thought to giving and giving at different levels. Can you give us a sense of how you approach giving and specifically, like, think about how much to give? Yeah, Um I just use the formula that's in Second Thessalonians to determine how much to give. No, just kidding. There's no formula, right? Like that, you know, so I think that actually is an insight in and of itself. Um, God was relatively prescriptive in his word in many areas of values. He elected not to be when it comes to how much to give. And I, I think there's a lesson in that for us. As we as New Covenant believers think about specifically how much to give the most uh, I'll triangulate it with a few like phrases that I've heard that have helped me because the answer, as we just said, there's no formula. The answer will vary by family, depending on the circumstances of that family. Um, One phrase that's helpful is Christians ought to live with provocative lifestyle distinction. That's a quote from pastor John Tyson in New York provocative lifestyle distinction. And what he means by that is our lives should look markedly different than our peer set when it comes to either like income level or net worth, however you want to think about it, because we follow Jesus. And because we follow Jesus, we're giving in a way that our life looks different than those who have similar means as us. So that's one. Two is um, we should think about the question not so much as how much do I need to give, but rather how much do I really need to keep? Um, Thinking of it that way forces us to reckon with the reality that everything we have actually belongs to God, which I think if we polled everyone on this Zoom, they would like intellectually assent with. So the problem is not a theological gap, but rather a, a practical gap. We don't actually live that way. We don't live as though everything belongs to God, even though we would say we believe that. So asking the question, how much do I really need to keep, starts with the assumption that it's all God's. And then we see in 1 Timothy 5 and 6 that providing for our family is a very honorable way to use the money that God has provided. But then anything above and beyond that um, can be bored back into his kingdom for his purposes. Uh, And then for those who have more means, which is not everyone, and I'm not talking about bazillionaires here. I'm just talking about people who are able to think about giving. Randy Alcorn has a great quote that says, um, 10% is a great place to start, but a poor place to finish. 
So this notion of like seeking to, to the degree God is elected to bless you with more than you need to provide safely for your family, then, you know, keep pushing yourself to give more over time. So th those are three different ways to triangulate it. Grace, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I just really commend um, Greg's book to everyone. I have to say, you know, I've had it for a number of years and then leading up to this event, I, you know, I had read parts of it, but I read it. I listened to the whole thing actually on Audible. So here's a plug. For some reason, it's free on Audible. <laughs> so go go listen to it. Now, you, there's no excuse because it's free. Um, but it really uh, was very powerful for me, I have to say. like It's sort of like having a friend distill down. It's like, I've done a lot of this research. I've done a lot of this thinking. Um, and here's you know what the Bible says, and here's some really interesting and thoughtful frameworks. Um, and I just found it really, really helpful. Um, you know, just to share more transparently, I think it's really impacted the way that um, our family thinks about giving. So Tim and I have been married um, for over 12 years now. We've been at High Rock um, during that time. And we started tithing 10% of our gross incomes when we got married. And then when we can, we've tried to increase that percentage. So um, now we're at 17% of our gross income. And listening to Greg's book, I realized that I thought we were actually doing well in this area. Like I thought it was like, okay, check that box. We're like trying to increase when we can. And then I don't think I actually fully reckoned with what Greg was talking about, about how much I live like the rest of it belonged to me and not to God. And so the framework of how much do we give, how much do we keep, has been really challenging and made me realize that my vision for generosity was actually too small. And it's not this like shaming thing, but this like, actually like, there's this whole bigger, more expansive and exciting way that God wants to do more um, through our giving. And so it was, it was like a very beautiful vision, I think, um, that I caught through the book. So I, I realized that it's like, Yes, I want to continue tithing, but actually like thinking about it in a completely different way that actually this is this is the beginning. I I love those things. I, I wonder if there are, it was ever like if either one of you have ever had like, you know, just seen things that were a little bit unexpected when you when you gave a little bit more or you started moving to this mentality of thinking, okay, maybe I should start thinking that about about what I like, what I can, what I can freely give and not just what I can keep. Um that's kind of like been like a surprise in a in a good way. That's when I say, oh, well, I I think I should keep trying this out. Um, is any is any can anyone speak to that? Sure. Yeah. Um, two two examples come to mind. Let me start by, you know, st stating my personal rejection of prosperity theology. So I'm about to share stories of cool stuff that happened after we gave, but I want to be really clear that, <laughs> you know. We don't give to get, just to be really clear on that point. Um, at the same time, though, you know, God does say, like, test me in this, pour out your generosity and see what I do, you know? Um, and, and and so we should not dismiss those verses either. We should instead ask ourselves, what does God mean when he says that? Um, and a couple examples. Uh, one is... Uh, deeper kingdom relationships. Uh, and my wife, Allison, says this well. Giving more has afforded us the opportunity to spend more time 
with people who are world changers for Jesus. Um, as we go get more involved with really neat ministries financially, we end up spending more time with those ministries, whether it be in direct frontline service, serving on boards, engaging with the leadership team. And that ends up putting you in rooms with people who are doing incredible work in the name of Jesus in the kingdom and are just really dynamic, compelling people. And the chance to hang out with people like that and become friends with them is worth many times whatever we gave. Um, the second is a connection to purpose. Um, sometimes, especially, you know, I find this to be a common refrain among those who follow Jesus who are in the business world and they get to a point where it's like, why am I doing this? You know, um, I'm earning money. I'm, you know, doing whatever my business does, but whatever, what, what, why does that matter? When we're able to become more generous, I have personally experienced um, a more clear connection to what God wants me to be doing with this life that he's given me. Um, and a, a recent example of that is we've gotten really involved with this movement um, called Illuminations that is translating the Bible into all of the languages that it has not yet been translated into. Um, and when we spend time with the folks who are working on that, I'm like, it's very clear to me that the Holy Spirit's like, this is where I want you. Like, I want you working on this. Um, and that level of, I call it living in the wake of the spirit is you, you can't replace that. Uh, Grace, anything on your end? Yeah. I mean, to Greg's point of like, you know, God does say like, test me in this. I feel like over the years, I have, and I think maybe many of us have experiences where like we have an opportunity to kind of really take a step of faith and, and give in a way that, um, feels uncomfortable. Or I think, um, early on, like my first job out of college, I remember, and I've, I've done this ever since, even though I haven't changed jobs that much, but I, um, you know, tithed my first paycheck or, or I, you know, I, I donated my first paycheck and this idea of like, is God really gonna come through for me? Like, or am I, am I just like a sucker that just like gave away my first paycheck, even when I needed it? Um, and yeah, and I have to say, right, like it's, my track record is very mixed at best, but I do feel like, like my testimony is that there really isn't a time where I have felt like God didn't come through in a way. And it's this whole idea, even of like, sometimes I think about it, it's like writing things to like Jesus's account where it's like, okay, God, I'm taking a step of faith and I'm might be really losing out in this way by giving this way or, or what have you. But um, even if it fails, I'm writing this to your account, like you can please take care of this. And obviously, right, stewarding all that, like not doing things foolishly, but you know, there is sort of at the end of the day, sometimes like the actual step is the hardest to take. And so, yeah, that God has really shown himself faithful. Um, so Grace, you, you work in philanthropy. Uh, you think a lot about how we give. Um, how do you begin to think about giving well or what it means to give in like the most effective way? Yeah. So a um, couple of thoughts. So I think generally we really underestimate the skill required to be a good giver. Um, it's a skill that's learned with a lot of trial and error, like most things in life. So it's very common that we believe that because I am strong in fill in the blank business, law, medicine, 
how hard could giving um, be? But um, if you talk to like serious and godly donors, they'll share stories about how they've just been really humbled and actually transformed by God through their giving. And so I'd say that it's not this like, okay, just give me the formula and like how hard can this be kind of um, paradigm. Um, the other thing I would say sort of to summarize succinctly is like two Ps, <laughs> our posture and our presuppositions. So I think we should think about our posture when we're giving. So given God's posture towards the poor, I think we have to examine whether our posture towards the poor matches his or does it match other kind of prevailing worldly thinking. So Jesus was proximate to the poor, um, am I? And this is definitely an area that I'm really still growing in. Um, and a second aspect of posture is not assuming that we know better than the poor uh, what they need, or like we know better than nonprofit leaders that are serving poor communities, like what is best. So certainly do your due diligence, ask good questions, learn as much as you can about the way a ministry or nonprofit works. Um, but let's do it from a posture of um, humility and not kind of arrogance or self-importance. And then the second P is just presuppositions. And so I, I observe that even among Christian circles, we have a lot of prevailing beliefs and presuppositions around giving. So uh, one common one is that nonprofits are all poorly run compared to businesses and that nonprofits should have no administrative costs or overhead or, you know, the overhead should be as low as possible. And I think you just, you know, I think we all know this, but like there are poorly run nonprofits just as there are poorly run businesses, right? And so the reality is, you know, the administrative cost of one nonprofit really depends on the type of work it's trying to do. There isn't really one benchmark that like fits across all nonprofits. And there's a, this whole, a whole other area too of like, you know, nonprofit pay. So like around the holidays, I often see this like Facebook post making its rounds about like how different ministry CEOs make different amounts. And like the one that's the best is like the nonprofit where the CEO makes $13,000 a year. And I guess I just have to ask, like, is that really a good thing, right? Like, um, so when we say we want our money going to just the programs, no overhead at a nonprofit, it leads to the nonprofit being starved from having enough resources to invest in like talent and growth and health. Um, and then I'll just close that another presupposition that it's very common is that nonprofits should be sustainable, just like businesses, when in reality, many of them exist because of market failure in society. And so when donors say, this is very common, oh, I'll, I'll just give you for a couple, give to you for a couple of years until you're sustainable. I think that the false paradigm is there because really nonprofits are sustained. Communities often are sustained when other people really step in um, and commit long-term to sustain them. So that was a lot, but. That's great. Uh, Greg, any, any thoughts on this? That was a fantastic response. Um, I'll just underscore something Grace said with um, one of my favorite verses. Uh, one thing that Grace mentioned was, what is God's posture toward the poor? Uh, and when I think about um, where God calls people to give money in scripture, and we try to structure our own giving against those same pillars, the three pillars we use is serving the poor, spreading the gospel, so evangelism, and then building the church, so like discipleship. The most common command of God of people in scripture to give money is to the poor by a wide margin, just in terms of by count of commands. So that I think is indicative of God's heart. 
toward the poor. And <clears throat> Isaiah 58 is a chapter that is mostly all about giving to the poor. And it talks about like what happens if we um, uh, are obedient in that. So if you read like the preceding verses, it's all about giving to the poor. And then in 58, it, it says, um, uh, your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So that's just always what I think about is like, if we're obedient serving the poor, then the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard, which to me is such like a compelling call to focus more of our posture, like Grace said on that, to be more like God's. Yeah, I'm, I'm really struck by this idea of uh, of posture. I'm wondering if either of you have seen ways where, you know, in, in giving and generosity, where community has been changed, especially around like differences of, of class, differences of social economic income. If you've experienced any of this yourself and new connections that have been made, um, or maybe in the lives of others, um, can either of you speak to that? Yeah, two, two examples come to mind. One is... Um, Many times, and what I'm about to say maybe is probably, um, I don't know if it applies to the High Rock audience as much because High Rock, when I, I found my time at High Rock, people to be more like open-minded to these ideas than other churches I've been to. But many times people think that like when they go on the mission trip from the West, they go on the mission trip where they give the money that they're like helping these other people who are in need, right? And then they actually go to the location see what's happening and they come back far more changed um, than the people that they quote unquote helped. Um, to me, that's like add that to the list of the dynamics of God's upside down kingdom where we're surprised by how he orients his kingdom over and over again. Um, the only reason I raise that is to say, I do think that money is oftentimes the biggest inhibitor to those who are blessed with much from experiencing wholehearted life in Jesus. And again, when I say blessed with much, I'm not talking about Elon Musk, right? Like most Westerners have more than we need. Okay. You know, and um, I have seen God over and over again, use that very impediment. That is to say the love of money materialism as the avenue to bring those people into more wholehearted life in him in the way I just described. So to me, it's this beautiful picture of the upside down kingdom. The second is when groups of individuals who by the world standards don't have much are equipped to express generosity and experience such dignity and purpose when they do. Um, so one of the ministries I work with um, works with this gr group of churches in India uh, and the church started in this like really remote area of India and that main kind of parent church, which has now spawned like hundreds of churches in the surrounding area, it's it's a primary budget for sending all these missionaries out is funded by the peasants or who attend the church doing what they call a handful of rice. So at each meal, when they're like preparing rice for their family, they take one scoop of it and put it into a different basket. And then like once a month or whatever, they all bring those baskets to the church and then they sell the rice. And that is the that money funds missionaries directly that they go send out into their local communities. And over a 10 or 15 year period, literally like hundreds of churches have been founded uh, via this mechanism. And so the pride you see 
it's mostly like women who are doing this so that when you interview the women, we have like a video of it and how proud they are for how they are expressing generosity to build the kingdom is awesome. Yeah, I, I love what Greg shared. I, I think <clears throat> that's been one reflection I've had too, is it's like, right, we often think of like wealth as um, mainly financial, but there's just so many dimensions of wealth in God's kingdom, like blessing and again, not prosperity gospel type things, but it's like when we give money, we sometimes think we're the ones being the generous ones, but then we end up experiencing it. And um, when I lived overseas um, in Asia, did a lot of like traveling in rural areas and definitely saw kind of that kind of generosity, kind of like what Greg was um, describing in action too, where it's like, yeah. And, and there's something very um, powerful about when we see generosity or when we experience it ourselves, it almost necessarily like creates generosity in us too. Like it's almost hard not to respond um, in that way. And then I'll, I'll just end with saying, even like empirically, so, you know, in my work at the Center for Effective Philanthropy, we do a lot of like, you know, data science, data analysis around um, what makes for effective giving. Um, and this is usually with like large institutional donors, big foundations. And we find actually that relationship, like a giver's relationship with the communities or the causes that they're giving at is proven statistically to result in like greater impact essentially, right? And so, um, and I just always think that's so interesting because it's like relationship being such a squishy thing, um, but actually the proximity of being close to people and being in relationship and being transformed mutually um, is this really powerful thing, whether you're a Christian or not. And so, um, yeah. So anyway, there's like empirical evidence to back that up as well. Wow. That's a, that's so interesting. Um, okay. Let, let me go into a couple uh, kind of specific questions here. Uh, how, okay. When you think about giving, uh, there's giving to the church and then there's giving to institutions outside of the church. This is a question that a lot of folks have. So can you just, uh, have any thoughts here on how you approach uh, or think about giving to the church versus other institutions? Yeah, sure, I can start, um, but would love to hear Grace's view as well. Uh, some pastors call for like what they call storehouse tithing, which is like where your 10% tithe is intended to go directly to the church. And then anything above that can be called like an offering that can go to other things. I don't, see a great case for that in scripture. I again point to the framework I highlighted earlier around like where does God call people to give in scripture? And again, it's mostly serve the poor, spread the gospel and and build the church or, or discipleship. So I think giving to parachurch ministry that's doing other work is like a totally kingdom aligned way to give. At the same time, especially in the West, many people have this attitude of like, my church has enough money. I don't want to pay for the air conditioning, you know? Um, and I think, again, there's a clear call to like fund discipleship, provide salaries for our pastors. Like that's also very clearly committed in scripture. Um, and uh, so I think we should not feel bad about giving to things outside the church and we should be you know giving is one way we contribute to our local body because again like we are the local body it's not the building it's not just the pastors it's not the place i go on sunday like i am it along with my brothers and sisters 
And so I'm called to contribute to that too. In my family, um, our church is the biggest uh, line item, I guess you could say, in our in our giving account. Um, there's one exception to that, which is my job, like so, sometimes results in like kind of one-time larger liquidity events. And so when that happens, we sort of give bigger gifts to other things. But like on a year-over-year -year basis, the church is the biggest line item, but it is less than 50% of total giving, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was raised <laughs> with the teaching that um, the tithe must all go to the local church. Um, but through teaching at High Rock and resources like Greg's book, actually, I see it differently now. So for my husband and I, we tithe one person's income, like 10% of, uh, or, you know, the added percentage of, um, that I talked about earlier to High Rock, but we give the rest, um, to causes and ministries, um, that God has given us a heart for both Christian and non-Christian. Um, well, okay. I appreciate your, your insights on that. Um, here's a question that has to do with, uh, giving and, uh, and thinking about giving just like breaking the mold of just like, when I give, I give as an individual and think strategically, or maybe get, maybe as a family. Um, if that's like a typical way for us to think about giving, uh, what would it look like or what could it look like you think for us to practice generosity together? Um, how do you think we could bring this kind of mentality? I love this phrase, right. Of like being there for one another in our giving. Uh, any ideas about that? Well, my main message would be it's so super fun to do this I, and everyone should try it. <laughs> That's my main message. So two examples of that. Yeah. Um, a group of buddies who I met in grad school, uh, there, were, there were seven of us total and we were all married. So like the 14 of us are friends. And when we graduated, we started putting money into a donor advised fund together, like all seven families did to attack bigger projects than any one family could afford on its own. So like we did a Bible translation. Uh, we did some work with Compassion International to build child development centers in Honduras, a couple other examples, uh, an orphanage in Africa. And in each case, none of us could have afforded to fund that project on our own. And in many cases, it was like multi-years of seven families giving toward this thing. And it created... A, it was just exciting to get to like do a bigger project. And then B, it, it kept us unified. Like the seven of uh, couples had this like common thing that we were doing that was exciting. So that was great. A second example is um, my wife and I have joined two other families. We launched this 501c3 called Pazar, which is Hebrew for scatter. And it's a not-for-profit whose mission is to encourage others to live generously or overcome hardship, which basically can mean anything. And so I have like a bizarre credit card and check and Venmo account. And my wife and I can give money to like anyone at any time, <laughs> you know, like family in the church, husband gets cancer. It's like, boom, or like, you know, somebody's car gets totaled, like boom. And, and you can give through this 501c3. Originally, the idea was to be able to give in local community and still get the tax deduction, which is nice. But the bigger lesson from it has been now that we have this tool in our toolkit, it just compels us to give more often in our local community with our friends, uh, which has been great. That's so awesome. Uh, it's something that I really like would it welcome more conversation about at High Rock. Like I, I would love 
to do something like what Greg was describing, like give, um, I mean, I know we give in community in kind of different avenues, but even just like, um, yeah, kind of more like grassroots groups popping up um, in the church doing that would be really exciting. And, and one of my kind of big dreams um, is that like Christians can come together and really like move the needle in America on some big issues um, because I'm not really seeing that happening. Um, and yeah, and like, what would it take for us to, um, yeah, kind of be able to come together and give like that, both at a micro level, but also um, larger. So, Grace, I'd be interested to know if there's any like specific, you know, things or causes where you feel like, you know, if, if, if there were, is there was Christian forms of unity around giving where they would be specifically or, or oriented towards? Yeah, I mean, the list is endless. It really could be just anything that folks are interested in. Like I've heard stories through acquaintances of like, um, you know, every single foster child within a certain region kind of taken care of, but not because everybody is actually fostering a child, but those who can do and then those who can support do. And, um, and just how much that was really transformational for this one community in Pennsylvania, for instance. Um, I mean, I, I sometimes worry about some like the really intractable problems that we have, like gun violence and the opioid crisis, and just think like, yeah, maybe maybe there's something that God could do through us to kind of move the needle on those. And, and it's fascinating to me because there actually are, and I know this is true in Christian circles, but I, I think I see some of the more public forms of that kind of communal giving in secular spaces. So like there's you know, like the Boston Foundation has all these giving circles. There's an Asian American giving circle, like, um, and, you know, there's like women giving circles and all that. And I know that there are Christian versions of that as well, um, for sure. But I think I'd love to see more of it, I guess. Yeah. Great. Um, all right, so we have some questions here from our audience, and uh, I'm going to turn to those now for the remainder of our time. Uh, here's the first question. Uh, as I've experienced in the church, Part of the reason giving seems hard to talk about in community is the apparent message in scripture to keep one's giving private or quiet. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing is understood that we should not trumpet our giving. Uh, what's a way to think about this? What's a way to uh, have some wisdom around this perspective? Um, what would you be your response to those who think that we probably shouldn't be discussing these things publicly? Uh, Greg or Grace, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I can start, but I would love to hear Grace's comment too. Um, so the verse that was quoted is, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, which is a quote from Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Something like 20 verses before that um, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So how might we reconcile these two apparently conflicting ideas that are something like 20 verses apart. And if you read the context above and below them, giving is like one of, giving is not the only, but one of like multiple sort of ethics that Jesus is discussing, like in these paragraphs. Um, my opinion, if you read the context of those passages, is it has to do with motive. But to the degree that not being anonymous with your giving would result in more glory to God through the encouragement um, to others to, you know, to give more. I think that's great. 
Um, so, you know, what my wife and I do is we only give gifts where our name will be on the building. No, I'm just kidding. Totally joking. Just totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. It depends, right? So like we have to pray through, um, does it make sense for this to be anonymous or not anonymous? And one thing, Scott, that I've learned uh, is God works through us despite my sin. And what I mean by that, there are times when we get a clear call from God to give where people will know who it was, even though I have pride in my heart about it. And I try to eradicate that pride and I work on it. And like, you know, by God's grace, it gets a little bit better over time, but it's still there. Um, and, you know, God still uses that. Uh, and so that's like part of the journey, I think. Yeah, I think the tension that I feel, right, is about motivation, um, because, right, we don't want to be, um, I think there's real spiritual danger <laughs> in boasting about some of these things. And on the other hand, I think that there's really um, power in creating like a culture of giving, right? So like the church I was talking about that like took care of all the foster kids in their area. Um, yeah, I think that like, it's really hard to do that if you're not having really open conversations on like, what can I contribute and what can I not contribute, right? And so um, I think that we, I think it is a cultural norm having moved abroad. It is a cultural norm in the United States that money is considered taboo to talk about openly like that because we're so afraid of having the wrong motivations that I think that we could push ourselves a little bit more. Those are helpful responses. Thank you. Um, this this question has two parts. So let's look at the first part here. Uh, what are some ways to determine uh, whether to give or how much to give if we're since if we're asked to give to a number of different great ca causes? You know, what do you think about you know targeting giving or spreading it around? Um, and there's another question here. So maybe you can look at different parts of it. Uh, how do we determine when it's time to stop giving? So. Targeting versus spreading around. Um, the, the answer I want to give is like, yes. <laughs> so you need to do both. Um, you know, we, in my work, we have a lot of um, data that shows that like really targeting, giving big multi-year gifts to nonprofits is actually most helpful. And you can imagine why, right? Like they're not, they're spending less time going out fundraising more, it gives them more capacity. Um, but not all of us are in a position to do that, right? And it, there is definite trade-offs. If you're asked to give one place, that necessarily means that you have less to give somewhere else. So I do feel like it is a um, it is a discernment thing. And I think what we can do that really clarifies things is actually talk about like what are our giving goals, like either as individuals or as a family, and like write them down, right? Which I think is something that most people have have trouble with because we tend to be more responsive. Which again, my answer is yes. Should we be responsive? Yes. But I think that it is actually helpful to write down like, here are the things that we care about because there are always going to be other asks and things that come in. And there will be seasons where, um, you know, it's important that we really just double down on the commitments we have to the existing um, relationships that we have with the charities that we support. And there'll be other seasons where there can be new ones come in. And so I think that 
if you ask a nonprofit leader, they will always say, I would prefer if you would actually double down on us. And I think that that is um, always telling, right? They're, they're, it's easier for them. It helps them meet their mission more if you um, give more. And I think as a donor, we also have to um, discipline ourselves to not completely shut ourselves off from other asks. Um, so it is a real tension that um, I don't know that there is like a right answer to, but it's just one that we have to live in the tension of. So I, I would say it, we need to do both, um, but it is something that, you know, we work through. Yeah, that's great. Total, totally agree. I'll just share like a, two quick anecdotes. Um, one is what Allison and I have learned is we need to wrestle with the Holy Spirit on this question each year or every six months or, you know, whatever cadence it is that your family decides how to allocate giving. And I actually think it is that wrestling that is the point. Going back to my prior comment about giving should be a joyful act of worship, like that's why we give. Wrestling with the Spirit on how he's calling us to allocate his resources is the point. Uh, and I think in some seasons that will result in more concentration versus less. Another best practice that we've learned is that um, in the context of a marriage, different people may be able to better worship God through different ways of giving. It's kind of like the five love languages book. I don't want to over analogize that, but, <laughs> um, you know, I like my spreadsheet and plan gifts and like big block grants. And like by January 1st at noon, I like know where the giving is going that year, you know, whereas, um, Allison is much more responsive and spontaneous to the spirit. So what we've learned to do is allocate a portion of our giving each year that she can give whenever she wants at any time for any reason. We call it her slush fund. And that has really like freed her up to better worship God through giving. And it pulls us more into stuff God is doing locally. Um, and then finally, just like one little kind of uh, decision we've made is anytime a, a, a like a kid or a teenager asks us for a little bit of money to go on a mission trip, it's an automatic yes. Um, just because like it's a little bit of money for me, and like you may never know how God uses that to transform the heart of that person for the kingdom when they're young. So that that's like a you know I may never know anything about that organization they're going with, but to me that's just like uplift the kids. Automatic yes. That's good stuff. Um, we've got a couple, uh, we've got a few more, uh, questions. Questions coming here are awesome. This one is also going to get at attention. So, uh, you know, just do your best to give us some thoughts on this. So we've talked, you've talked about the power of proximity and how that can even lead to like more effective giving. Um, but there's, you know, one clear tension with talking about giving about in proximity and relationship and, and, and those who are close to us, uh, is also thinking about where is there the greatest need? So, um, how do you go about even discerning or thinking about proximity and relationships as well as giving where there is need? I'd, I'd love to take this. So this is something that I've really wrestled with. Um, some of you know that I, I have the podcast and, um, getting done right. And one of the guest we had on is um, one of the founders of Give Directly, who actually is a believer. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask him, it's like, how should I think about this? Um, because Give, Give Directly is all about direct cash transfers to the poor, largely in, you know, faraway places. Now they do some stuff in the U.S. as well. And, you know, they have real strong roots in effective altruism, which is this movement that many of you 
I'm sure know some something about, which is this idea, um, Peter Singer is the philosopher behind it, that, um, you know, we need to maximize the benefit for every dollar spent, right? So um, it will always be more effective in effective altruism to give overseas in Sub-Saharan Africa than in the United States, in Massachusetts, in anywhere, <laughs> almost um, in the Western world. And so therefore that is our like moral obligation to do that. And I think that there's something really powerful about that philosophy and because it brings a sense of like rigor and um, kind of thoughtfulness around the giving. I think that there, as a Christian, I think that there are real critiques <laughs> that I have around that philosophy that I think we need to interrogate um, through the lens of our faith. Um, I think under effective altruism, we would never give locally to our neighbor, right? Um, and we would also never give to things that evoke beauty or goodness in our world, like the orchestra or, and, and one could say, right? Like maybe we shouldn't be giving to the orchestra, maybe we should be giving. But I, I think that I think that God's kingdom gives us space for those things. And so, yeah, so I think that it's it brings a really interesting, um, set of questions into getting that I think we should really wrestle with. And, um, you know, ultimately I feel like for us, for instance, it's a mix, right? So we do give a lot locally, um, but we also give through, give directly <laughs> overseas now after having really like wrestled through, because I think the tension is sometimes donors are an impediment, right? Like sometimes the best thing is actually just to send money <laughs> and um, and not be like super, you know, not all be parachuting into Sub-Saharan Africa trying to help. Um, and so I think that those are like very good questions to wrestle with. And um, yeah, and it's like, when is relationship helpful? And when is it, when is money most helpful? That's a great response. I think I would just offer how arrogant of us to assume that we can discern what God thinks is the best way to give. Like he's, you know, many of like the effective altruism type movements, they have, they do good work, but they assume that they can calculate the best way to give. And as we've discussed on this call, like God just operates by different rules. It's an upside down kingdom and he's solving for, his glory and our good more broadly defined than combating poverty, although that is clearly a big piece of it, as we discussed earlier. So I, I would say, like, we do a mix, first of all, of kind of like local giving that has like a lower ROI on it, as Grace mentioned, and then also international, like very direct needs-based combating poverty type giving. I think it's wrestling with the spirit on where he'd call you to give. Also, don't miss out on like a big reason why God calls us to give, which is for our own sanctification, which I think undoubtedly occurs more when it's in your local community and you're in it. Like that's part of why God wants us to do it. And so you don't want to sacrifice that. These are uh, these are really thoughtful responses to almost unanswerable questions. So I appreciate uh, your engagement with them. I've got another one right now. Um, there is just a real deep sense to take care of family, whether that's, you know, kids or that's caring for relatives, a parent or something like that. 
and we can give great resources over to those. We can invest all that we have into the future of others. And that can seem like a very self, self-giving act. Okay, it is. Um, but it can also then come at the expense of giving money elsewhere. Uh, that's hard to discern. And I'm curious if either of you have any thoughts about how to do that. Yeah, I, I can start, but again, would love to hear Grace's comments. So I'll give two subcategories. One is giving to extended family, and then two is to think about how much to give to your kids. So in extended family, um, I think I'll give you a personal example. Right now, we're giving a relatively meaningful amount of money each month to my aunt who's caring for my grandmother who's in extremely frail health because my aunt can't work. There is so much junk and dirt involved in that situation, unhealth, emotional manipulation, um, relationship breaking between my dad and his sister, who's my aunt in this case. I mean, it's like a messed up situation. And I still feel like the direct call is to care for my grandmother, right? Um, Even if it's not like some super holy, like not-for-profit that's you know, bringing people to Jesus. So I think sometimes like the answer is like, we're just called to help out our family. Um, Of course that can go too far and you have to know when it's actually, you're not helping anymore and you're actually like enabling unhealth. Right. And then with kids. uh, And I actually find here, like to speak directly to this, people who grew up in a really difficult situation have a hard time not leaving a larger inheritance to their kids because they don't want their kids to have to go through that. You have to really think through the total pros and cons of leaving a large inheritance to your kid. Over the last two years, this has been something I've been studying. I've asked something like 25 or 30 like estate lawyers, donor advice fund people, people who work with, you know, people who are going through estate planning. I asked what percentage of the time does giving a large inheritance result in either a breakdown in relationship between the parent and the child across the children or the child becomes a non-productive member of society? And uh, the answer is 70 to 90% of the time it goes bad, according to these 25 to 30 experts. So I just think it's like not worth it a lot of times, which is very countercultural uh, and like hard to actually execute. Um, but that that's how I currently think about it. I think that's so helpful. I mean, I think I also think there are like certain parts of scripture that talk about like taking care of our families. And I often find like, I don't know if you all have ever been in the situation where it's like you hear of a story of someone who's really in a tough place or struggling and you're like, oh, what they just need is like someone to like come in and invest in them, not even necessarily money, but like time and love and put up with them and get them, you know, support them through a tough phase where they can get to a better place. And then I'm often reminded, oh yeah, that's actually what we're called to do <laughs> with our own families a lot of the time, especially extended family. And so, um, and so I, it, sometimes I try to keep that in my mind, but it, yeah, like Greg says, it is really messy. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's, I see it as an extension with all the caveats, right, of like having wisdom for boundaries and things like that, but um, it is an extension for giving. Let me put this just very short final question to both of you. Um, what are acts of giving in the church uh, that give you hope 
that encourage you, whether these are like larger initiatives or just things that you might see every now and then that make you think like this, this is, this is God's work. Yeah. The one I'm most excited about is the velocity of church planting that is happening globally. Um, a bunch of organizations are partnering to train pastors who are bivocational for the most part, plant churches, mostly house churches, and get the Bible into the language and printed or digital or audio into their hands. And this is happening at a massive rate globally. Uh, and I am pumped to see what the Holy Spirit is doing. What One of the causes that I'm involved in deeply as a donor and a board member is this idea of um, on university campuses, being able to ask the hard questions about like what is good and what is true and what is real and bringing, um, you know, like a Christian perspective in a loving way into those conversations um, that a university would not just be a place that prepares us professionally, but also prepares us like to be people of character and and really contribute to the world. And so I um, I get so much energy from meeting the students that I meet through that work. I just feel like I was nowhere near <laughs> as like amazing as they are when I was studying and they just give me so much hope for the future. So um, yeah, I just feel like the spirit is really moving um, even when we don't see it in the headlines on uh, college campuses. Greg and Grace, thank you so much for being guests on the God and Money Theology Lab.